Welcome to the Tucker Bass Sports Podcast, sponsored by NorthAmericanDental.com. North American Dental offers membership-based dental plans that feature amazing discounts for dental care services from participating providers nationwide with just one affordable annual or monthly membership fee. You'll have access to discounted services including dental care, vision, hearing, and prescription plans. Go to NorthAmericanDental.com for more information. So thank you for joining the show today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be joined by my good buddy. Uh, we grew up together, Riley Evans. He also has a podcast. It's called With My Own Eyes, featured on SoundCloud and Google. Go check it out. Subscribe to it. He's awesome. Uh, we're going to talk some postseason baseball today. We'll also step into the uh, the Cleveland, Cleveland Indians and the Blue Jays, as well as Kershaw. You told me you think Kershaw is going to be on the mound tonight in Game Five. Tell me why. Yeah, I did think that, and I, you know, all the reports and what Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, has said is that it will be Kenta Maeda tonight. But I disagree with that. I think it should be Kershaw tonight. I think if you go out and throw him tonight, uh, not only have have the Cubs struggled against Kershaw against left-handed pitching all season long, I think if you if you pitch Kershaw and he goes out and wins the game tonight, he's got a a decent chance maybe to start even definitely to pitch out of the bullpen in game seven. I think if you pitch him game six, you severely damage the chances of being able to throw in a potential series clinching game seven. So uh, Kenta Maeda has struggled in this series and really all the entire postseason. Uh, the Cubs will be having a lot of confidence going into this game after having what we saw last night with the offensive outburst that they had. But I think, uh, I, I think it should be Kershaw tonight. If I was managing the Dodgers, it would be Kershaw tonight to start game five and uh, try and get this win in Chicago and, uh, and and take your chances back in Los Angeles in game six. Well, you mentioned Maeda's struggles. I think his ERA is almost up to 10. He's at 9.8 or something. So it's super high. Um, not only that, but Kershaw, I, you might see a, who was it that pitched for the Diamondbacks? Johnson. Back Randy in, Johnson. Yeah, Randy Johnson. Back in the day, he went back to back game six, game seven in the World Series and did it. Uh, so that's still a possibility. But I agree with you. I think you got to put Kershaw on the mound in game five to at least give him a day's rest to go at least five innings, five good innings in game seven. Because totally agree, and that's that, something that we've seen. Their their bullpen isn't as the, deep as we. We saw it last night. They went, what, eight pitchers deep and didn't pitch well out of the bullpen. Absolutely. And I think when you look at what uh, teams have been able to do, specifically talking about the Giants um, two years ago, what Madison Bumgarner was able to do pitching on short rest, coming in in game seven of the World Series, pitching relief, getting the save, I believe pitched three innings in that game, if I remember correctly. I think you have to open up that possibility for yourself when you're talking about one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball especially against a team who historically, just talking about this season, really has not been able to hit left-handed pitching. And that we saw in Game 2 and Game 3 when Kershaw and, and Rich Hill pitched. Uh, when, he, they, when they saw that left-handed pitching, those, those big looping curveballs that they can throw, they couldn't hit it. And so I think what you do when, you, when you're sending Kenta Maeda out there, you're basically sending out a sacrificial lamb saying, okay, we concede Game 5 to you. We'll get to Game 6 and see what happens. It's kind of a, a funny term you just threw out there, sacrificial lamb, because it's true. <laughs> no, it's so true. You put Kenta Maeda, who, whose ERA is up to over, almost to 10, as, as I mentioned earlier, but his command of the strike zone this postseason 
has been horrendous. And you look at the difference in Kershaw and the command he's had since coming back from his injury after two months, who nobody thought was possible to come back in the postseason and then to pitch out of the bullpen in game five to clinch. And then the game he pulls out a couple nights ago, it's just unbelievable. I don't think there's any reason he should not be on the mound. I don't understand it. I totally agree. And, you know, in school, I am an economics major, and all of economics is about maximizing value and profit. And I think if you pitch Kershaw tonight, you maximize his value by opening the door for him to pitch in a game seven. And like you mentioned earlier, it's not completely outlandish to think that he could start game six and still make an appearance in game seven. I think if you pitch him in, in game five, you go out, you get the win, most likely. We're talking about Clayton Kershaw and still open up the possibility of him to, to at least pitch relief and probably close potential game seven. Uh, I don't understand it, but Dave Roberts has managed the Dodgers very well this postseason. Everything he's touched basically has seemed to turn to gold, except for really the, the bullpen pitching last night. But I, I think he's going with his gut on this one, and it's hard to second-guess a manager of his caliber. Agreed. Uh, he, he does get paid the big bucks to make the decisions that we just talk about. We entertain. Um, Baez, though, the most consistent player for the Cubs this postseason. What, what are your thoughts on the Cubs? Do you think they're, they're batting this postseason since it's been super inconsistent until really last night with, with Rizzo and Russell? But they'd barely seen the base up until last night. In this yeah, and you hit it right on the head. Javier Baez has been the MVP of this postseason for the Cubs so far. I mean, it, it, talking about making big hits, getting on base, uh, you know, obviously the, the crucial home run in, in, against the Giants in game one. I mean, what can you say about what he's been able to do? A young guy out there playing second base. I think, you know, it, it's very it, – he's definitely been the MVP of the series so far. As far as the rest of the Cubs lineup goes, and, and you mentioned the inconsistency in their, their power hitting, and we saw – what they're capable of doing last night. And although that was very impressive to see Rizzo finally be able to get out of his, his, his slump that he's been in, hit a home run, same with Addison Russell. The problem with that and, that, and when you're talking about postseason baseball, it's very difficult to depend on hitting home runs. And with the amount of home runs that they hit last night, it's going to be hard to depend on that kind of productivity coming from hitting the long ball. And as much as they're capable of doing it, and that's something that they've been able to do, uh, the, the problem was going in wasn't that they weren't hitting real home runs. It was that they weren't hitting at all. And so when you're talking about postseason baseball, it's really a different kind of way to score runs. You have to learn to manufacture runs from hitting and getting on base. And although it was, you know, it's very flashy and impressive to see home runs being hit, and that's obviously what they did last night, you have to understand that, in future games, you're going to have to get on base in ways other than score runs in ways other than knocking the ball out of the park because that's, that is something that can be very inconsistent, especially in the postseason. Well, and you hit it right on the head. you got to get on base. You mentioned it a lot in your podcast and uh, in, in with my own eyes uh, that you put on, I believe, yesterday. Um, but Monday. Monday, Monday. Uh, but you, you talked about how Cubs fans should worry about the inconsistent batting for the Cubs in the postseason. And if you're not getting on base, you can't score runs. So they did better last night, but with all the inconsistencies, to answer my own question to you, I honestly don't think it's possible 
for them to maintain what they did last night because they haven't been able to do it throughout the entire postseason. They've had one or two games throughout sprinkled in that have helped them get wins in the series and ultimately move on, but they've kind of gotten lucky in some instances. Their pitching hasn't been bad. It's not that their pitching has been bad. They've had quite a few errors behind the mound as well. And L.A., especially last night, they had four errors the entire series going into the game and left with four errors after the game. So a total of eight errors in the entire series. Can you speak to what happened behind the mound? Was it just a head game played by the Dodgers? or I mean, they were at home. What happened? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think once you start to see these big bats that the Cubs have in the lineup, I mean, we're talking about one of the most potent offensive teams in the league, if not the most potent offensive team in the league. And, and once you see that they're fine, it seems as though they're coming out of this, this slump that they've been in the first few games, not hitting the ball well. Once you start hitting it, then I think you kind of clinch up a little bit and you kind of tighten up. And I think that goes team-wide. And I think that's something that the Cubs had experienced, especially in games two and three, when they were saying that they weren't scoring as many runs. And, and, you know, it takes a while. It takes a couple games to kind of shake that off. And I think the Dodgers, they don't have a couple games to kind of shake that off. They have to regather, re- mentally uh, re-enter this series, uh, which is another reason why I thought it would be a great idea to pitch your best player uh, tonight after the debacle that we just saw last night. Well, and what's surprising to me is something I didn't even mention. When they've lost it's not like they've even manufactured a single run in those ball games. They haven't even scored. They've had, yeah, what, two and, games two 18, three, they were eight, shut out. They've had 18 runs this series, all coming in the two wins they've had. So, I don't know. It's hard for me to pick the and Cubs, I think, but... I think a big portion, I, I don't know the exact number, but just thinking back in game one, uh, at least five of those runs came on a, on home runs, and I was I don't know exactly how many of the ten runs last night came on home runs. I would like to see you know how many runs they'd actually you know got guys got on base either a hit or a walk they advanced into second base and not come in with a single or a double. I I, I just don't I, it, it hasn't happened for them, and you know it's gotten them to this point sure, but I know we'll talk about the Indians later. But when you're looking at what the Indians are doing as far as pitching goes, you're going to have to be able to do that to beat that team. Before we do that, give me a prediction for the game tonight, Cubs-LA. With Kershaw, if he does start like you want him to, and with Maeda as well. Well, I think that's the the tipping point right there. I think if Maeda is going to start, it's going to be the Cubs. I just think that they're confident. They're going in. Maeda's right-handed pitcher. They're feeling good. They're back at home. I I don't see any way that they they lose that game. so if it's Maeda pitching tonight, I'll take the Cubs. But that's the thing is if it's Kershaw out there tonight, I'd take the Dodgers, I think. I, 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 they just The Cubs, I mean, I would like to say that it was just a fluke or that they, they just went into a little slump. But all year long, they haven't been able to hit left-handers. And you're talking about the best left-handed pitcher in the game. And so if Kershaw's pitching, I'd take, I'd take the Dodgers. Well, how mad would you be if you were betting on this game in Vegas – your initial bet was put in when you thought Maeda was pitching, and then five minutes before game time, they switch it up and throw in Kershaw. How mad would you be? Well, I mean, I mean, you essentially just lost a whole deal of money there. 
I mean, if I, I mean, I certainly would have got an amount of money that mattered to me on it. But yeah, you you're definitely looking at a loss there. Uh, well, I would. I'm gonna have to 100% agree. If if Kershaw's on the mound, you can't bet against the guy. He's the best pitcher in baseball and has been for the last what three to five years. Three four years at least. Yeah. Uh. Anyways. He, he did good lead out to the Cleveland Indians, who won their first ALCS championship since '97. So they're going to the, their first World Series since then. Uh, but they have the second longest drought in Major League Baseball behind the Chicago, Chicago Cubs in winning titles, and they might meet in that World Series. But Ryan Merritt, as a 24-year-old, for the Cleveland Indians, has pitched amazing this postseason. Is it too early to say that he's a great pitcher? I mean, just to put things in perspective, I am 24 years old. And to think about me going out there and pitching a baseball game on that stage, um, physically, mentally, would not have been able to do that. So the, what, that, the fact that not only was he able to go out there and start, he's only started – one game in the regular season, the fact that he was able to go out there and start last night and pitch as well as he did, only gave up one run and four and one-third innings. I mean, it's really, it's incredible. It's awesome. I mean, uh, those are the kinds of stories that are born in the postseason, the legends that are born in the postseason. And I think you ask the question, is, is it too early to say if he's for real or not? You know, it might be too early, but these are the way that these kinds of things start, I think. You kind of splash onto the scene in a big moment the way that he has and that kind of propels you forward for the rest of his career. It's certainly something that you could see happening to this young man. But, again, like I said, I'm 24 years old, and, I mean, I would have peed my pants going out there and trying to pitch in that game. I mean, I just, just can't say enough about what he's able to do. Uh, you question whether or not uh, Terry Francona should have left him in longer. He did say in the post-game interview that he was looking to get him through the order two times, um, which is exactly what happened. He did that through four innings, only through 35 pitches through three innings, which is probably the most impressive part of the start. So, uh, you know, Unsung heroes come up in, in the postseason. He's certainly one for the Indians. Well, you, you nailed it right on the head. Total of 49 pitches yesterday. Command of the strikes on 33 strikes on 49 pitches thrown by Merritt. In a closeout game. As a 24-year-old. As you mentioned, I, I mean, I'm 25. I also could not imagine going out in front of Millions of people, not only thousands in the stand, but millions watching around the country, around the world. I think the most impressive thing, though, for the Indians this postseason is the control that they've had of their bullpen. Because a lot of their starters haven't had to go many innings, which has allowed them to rest more early on and then pitch more. You look at who? At Miller and Aller, Allen out of the bullpen. Both have pitched six games this season, all in the same game, I believe. But Miller, in 11 and two-thirds inning uh, this postseason, he has 21 strikes and a whip of 0.6. 66% of his balls have been in the strike zone. Zero earned runs. Same thing with Allen. Six games pitched, seven and two-thirds innings, he usually finishes um, 12 strikeouts, uh, a whip of only 1.4. And he, he has 60% of his pitches in the strike zone. Again, zero earned runs. 
So not only are they getting good pitching out of the start from a young 24-year-old, but Andrew Miller, veteran, and Allen come in and control the end of the ball game. Yeah, just to put things in perspective as far as that goes, I mean, if you think about what the Indians, their pitching staff, been able to do this postseason, uh, they played a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox and a five-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays, who are two of the best offenses, make no mistake about it, two of the best offenses in baseball right up there with the Cubs. And, and in those game, in the three-game series against the Red Sox, they allowed seven runs. And in this five-game series against the Blue Jays, they allowed eight runs. I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to know a lot about math to know that that's not a whole lot of runs a game. And when you look at what they do offensively, they're not the kind of team that's going to come up and light up the scoreboard. But so far throughout this postseason, they haven't needed more than three or four runs to win pretty much any game they've played. Uh, when they've gotten that kind of pitching from Andrew Miller, as you mentioned, uh, when they've got that, that, that kind of pitching from the bullpen, they haven't needed to score a whole lot of runs. And the fact that they've been doing it against the teams that they've been doing it against just makes it that much more impressive. And you mentioned Andrew Miller, who, I mean, was voted the, the ALCS MVP last night. I don't think there was any doubt about that. Uh, Jeff in the ALCS, he pitched seven and two-thirds innings, not only allowed two hits, no runs. I mean, what can you say about a guy like that? And I think if we look at what's been going on, if you look at what the Royals did the last two years, I mean, name a starter on the Royals pitching staff. I mean, you, you really can't name one. They, they kind of shuffle guys in and out. What they've depended on is getting through the first four or five innings with a starting pitcher and then getting to that dominant bullpen that they had. And if you'd asked me three years ago what was the most important thing in postseason baseball, I would have said starting pitching. But bullpen pitching has proven to be just as valuable in these last few years. I, I honestly think the Cleveland Indians might be the hottest team in baseball, whether it's pitching or guys stepping up hitting the baseball that we haven't heard of all season. Nobody thought the Cleveland Indians were going to win the ALCS pennant. Nobody. I don't care who you are. I didn't think about it. Not once. Do you think they actually have a chance to win the title? I do think they do. But I, I, I mentioned this. I think I either mentioned it in my podcast or I wrote it on my blog. But, you know, so much of what goes into baseball postseason is about getting hot at the right time. And when you look at what the Indians are doing just before the postseason started and during the postseason, you're absolutely right. They are the hottest team in baseball. I mean, the, what, what they're doing as far as pitching goes and getting just enough offense to win games, I certainly think they can win this thing, especially the struggles that we've seen with the Cubs. Once they, If the Cubs are lucky enough to escape this series with L.A., if they get into a, a series with a team that has the bullpen to match their starting pitching, it's going to be tough for them to score. I definitely think you look at the Indians as contenders. They have just enough power in that lineup. You look at Mike Napoli. I don't know why he gets traded and, and, and released. So as often as he does, it seems like wherever he goes, he hits and wins uh, no matter where he's playing. And if they've got just enough power in that lineup to score runs, I, I, I certainly think that they're, they're capable of winning uh, this World Series. Um. You mentioned a potential matchup of the Cleveland Indians and the Cubs in the World Series. Just barring, you know, they, I think they do have the advantage with Kershaw only playing in Game 6. Um, but if it is Cubs-Indians, who do you think comes out on top? That's a really good question. And, 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 and let's so, say it's a Cubs team who 
is a little bit more consistent offensively with the pitching they've had already this postseason. Right. And, you know, that's a tough question because I've been so high on the Cubs all year. And they've come up with the hits. It seems like, I mean, it's, they have not performed well offensively, but they have come up with the hits when they've needed it the most. It's tough. I think I'd probably still go with the Cubs. Uh, I, I think when you're looking at what uh, the, the Cubs are going to bring as far as starting pitching goes, that'll probably be the best starting pitching that the Indians themselves will have faced throughout the postseason, the three-headed monster that they have in Chicago with Lester, Hendricks, and Arietta. I think I'd still probably go with the Cubs, especially if you're granting to me that they'll be a little more consistent offensively. I think they can they get that done. You know, we, we didn't even mention, mention pardon me, Lester tonight on the mound. What, what do you think he's capable of doing? Yeah, he's been dominant. He's been dominant so far this postseason. I think he, he, he in the start that he had, I, the Cubs have won every single game, hasn't allowed too many runs, and he's also a left-handed pitcher who, you know, a lot of right-handed hitting guys struggle with left-handed pitching, and so I think, uh, you know, he's been very impressive. He's kind of seen a revival, a rebirth of his career in Chicago and has really settled in, grown into this role as being the guy, being the ace on that staff, especially in this postseason. Um, he, he can't say enough about what he's done, and I think, especially looking at his counterpart tonight with Kenta Maeda, I look for another dominating performance from John Lester. All right, so that is the Major League postseason uh, from Riley Evans. Uh, th- thanks for all of your insight, dude. You know stats a lot better than I do. Let's 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 be honest, especially when it comes down to baseball. I'm much more of a basketball or a football type of guy. So let's take a step into my realm and talk about the GM's pick uh, in their survey preseason. They picked LeBron James to win the MVP this year. What are your thoughts? Well, I would defer to you on this one. My thoughts as far as that go is I think with the acquisition, the big obvious acquisition of the Golden State Warriors in the offseason of Kevin Durant, dare I say that the, the, the potential value or yeah, I guess that's the only way really to say the potential value of a Stephen Curry on that team is going to go down because you just added another top five player to that team. Um, I think when you look at what LeBron's going to do in Cleveland, uh, Kyrie Irving probably, I don't know, a top 10, top 15 player in the league, but he's still going to be getting the lion's share of the ball. He's going to be taking all the shots. He's going to be getting the ball in the post. He's going to be rebounding, passing, and I, I think those are things that Obviously, they're also going to be doing in Golden State, but when you look at the, the amount of firepower and offensive prowess that they have on that team, it's going to be difficult for one guy to really stand out as much as Stephen Curry did last year. And so I think I would, I would tend to side with the GMs on this one. I think I'd probably take LeBron as the preseason MVP pick as well. All right, so here's something that you probably wouldn't necessarily think of. In the playoffs, I actually think Kyrie Irving was the best player for the Cavaliers. LeBron did a lot more. He stuffed the stat sheet, and it looks good on paper. But Kyrie honestly has a great chance to take MVP this year. Because all the things you threw out about the Golden State Warriors with Curry and Durant and all the players they have, Klay Thompson, uh, you name them, the, the ball is not going to get around as much. Curry's not going to have as many shot attempts. It's 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 going to be hard to share the ball. Kyrie, honestly, who I think is going to have the lion's share of the shots this year in Cleveland, because I don't think LeBron in the regular season 
as you saw last year, necessarily needed to put everything into it because he knows when it matters most. It's a postseason. That's when he turns it on. If you go off his postseason numbers, then yes, I completely understand why you pick him to be the unanimous MVP at the beginning of the year. But you also got to take a look at James Harden, who's actually going to be in a point guard role for Mike D'Antoni. And you look at his previous point guards, I don't know, Steve Nash, who won MVP twice, two years in a row under Mike D'Antoni in the same offense. And if you've watched any of the postseason or any of the preseason with the Rockets, he looks good. And he can actually share the ball a lot better than we've seen in years past. Because I don't think Dwight Howard was really much of a second option on that team. So they're actually going to be better. And with the shooting that they have around him now, his assist numbers are going to go up. I mean, you have Ryan Anderson now sitting out on the outside of the three-point line with Gordon on the other side. Trevor Reese is a good three-point shooter. Uh, you name it. But you also got to look at Russell Westbrook. He's going to put up really gaudy numbers with OKC this year without Kevin Durant. I honestly don't know if they make the playoffs because I don't think they're even as good as a team as they were without Durant a couple years ago when they missed it by just a couple games. When Westbrook was putting up triple-doubles every single night. Um, so that's my take. I, I don't know. I, I think you can give it to LeBron, but there's plenty of other guys that are going to be in the running. So I don't, I don't think it can really be unanimous at this point. But You're right about that, and it's certainly not the most out, outlandish thing that I've heard to say that Kyrie Irving could win the MVP this year. It sounds like uh, you really like his chances of doing that, and he's certainly a guy that can light it up on the scoreboard. And, and, and you're right. LeBron is, is smart about his health, and he's smart about how much he exerts himself in the regular season to save it for the postseason. Um, and I, but I, I would say that the guys that you just listed, probably Durant and Westbrook, I would probably put, as far as chances go, above Kyrie Irving uh, to win that MVP, especially Russell Westbrook after we saw what they did without Kevin Durant uh, a couple seasons ago, what he was able to do on his own. I think it's, it's tough uh, to say that he couldn't do that again. I, you know, I can't disagree with that. Uh, you're also a BYU fan, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, they play tonight, Boise State. In just a few hours, uh, what do you think the outcome is going to be of that ball game? What do you think the, the Cougars have to do to get a win? Um, we don't. I don't think we know much about Boise State yet. I don't feel that they, they haven't played anybody really good. Probably the best team they've played is Washington State, um, who has had some impressive wins also this year. But as far as BYU goes, I think this is a team that's never really. That I don't, if I remember correctly, have never won in Boise. They've played in Boise several times, have never won there. Um, but I think as far as, as, as what they're able to do, if they can control the ground game as they've been able to do in, in, in games past, if the offensive line can get rolling, if Jamal Williams can start running downhill a little bit and kind of control the game, control possession of the ball that way, you're obviously going to increase your chances much more. But, uh, you know, playing up there on that Smurf turf has always seemed to get in the head of the BYU Cougars, and you kind of look for them to break that tonight. But uh, I, I think they can do it. I think defensively they, they've got the, the talent and the size to stick with Boise State who isn't uh, necessarily 
super skilled on the outside of the receiver spots, but, uh, you know, it's really hard for me to pick against BYU, so I'm not going to. I'll take the Cougars tonight. Well, you heard it here first. Riley Evans picks the Cougars to get the W tonight. Uh, thank you for joining the show. Also, guys, check out NorthAmericanDental.com. They're awesome. They've got really, really cheap dental plans on their website. So get on there, check them out, have a fantastic rest of your day.